Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. So good to be here. So good to to be in worship. And uh, man, it, you know, I talk to people all the time, and they say, "You mean you really want the organ to play?" Absolutely, I do. There, you can't match that. Uh, that was uh, that was good for the soul, and I'm grateful for. The praise team, also grateful for our music search team. We are uh, still in the process of looking, collecting resumes and interviewing. So please pray for our music search team as uh, they are uh, in full swing. So with that said, uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. We're going to jump right into Revelation chapter 12. Uh, and so this is usually when somebody comes to know Christ, I'll tell them to start in the book of John, read all the way to the end, skip Revelation and then start back over with John again, because Revelation is not for the faint of heart, and it's easy to get turned around, especially when we get into this, these parts. Uh, to say that you will fully understand Revelation by the end of this sermon, I don't think so. I'm still working on it. But let's jump in together and let's see if we can make some sense. I know the Holy Spirit will speak through His words today. You see... Revelation 12 and 13, of which we're looking at 12 today, introduces us to the main characters of the back half of the Great Tribulation. Right now, uh, we believe right now that the, the church has already been raptured, so prayerfully, you know Christ, I know Christ. Prayerfully, we have been taken up to heaven in the rapture, and now these are those that are left behind, that God is still working through the 144,000 sealed Jew believers to be able to to give everyone another opportunity to repent. But this is where it starts to, for lack of a better term, all hell breaks loose. And uh, this is where many people get caught up in the wording and the imagery and the eerie supernaturalness of this book. And today and in future sermons, we will see the unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, as Satan and his unholy force accuse the saints of their sins. Those whose faith is placed in Jesus Christ will be overcomers. You see, the overwhelming sense of hope that we can gather from our scriptures today is to encourage one another to know that One, if we know Christ, we won't have to go through this. But number two, that even in the midst of this, there is still hope for those to come to know Christ. So let's jump right in. The first thing that we see, the two wonders of heaven, which are Jesus and Satan. Jesus and Satan. Starting with chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. Some translations say a sign. Other translations say a great wonder. So what I want you to see from this right off in verse 1, this this is not a literal dragon. This is not a literal woman in the wilderness. These are signs. These are representations. These are meant to be interpreted. So to interpret these visions, I'm not going to consult a medium. I'm not going to consult Google. What we're going to do is we're going to use the Bible to define what these things are because the greatest cross-reference for any scripture is scripture. And so we're going to jump right in. John writes this account with a specific instruction that this is a sign or uh, it, it actually is a sign. And so in this vision, John sees Jesus proclaimed, Satan and evil are exposed and the veil that has been hidden in the evil worlds has been 
ripped off. So let's continue in verse 1. He says, I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. So one thing that we see here is we see, first of all, there is an illustration of a woman. And, and many people believe that this is Mary, especially those in, in Catholicism believe that this is Mary. Many times you'll go into those churches and you'll see a picture of Mary with the sun behind her. And that's where this, that picture originates from. But the truth of the matter is, is this woman has been associated with many different religious ideas. Uh, not only the Roman Catholics have pictured her as the queen of heaven, Mary Baker Eddy, who was the founder of the Christian science movement, said that she was this woman. So who is this woman? First of all, before I tell you who it is, women are often used as a representation of a group of people in the Bible. And it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's more neutral. I mean, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But the thing is, is that Women like Ruth and Esther are seen as examples of God blessing the Israelites. If you go and read about their stories in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea's wife, his, her name was Gomer, and she was a known woman of the night. And God led him to marry her. They had three children, and they don't even know if those three children were all Hosea's. But even through this woman named Gomer, she was showing and illustrating to the people of Israel their disobedience, their cheating on God, so to speak. And Hosea was what God led him to give them that example. Also, you may remember with Elijah, King Ahab's wife, Queen Jezebel, she pitted all of her prophets of Baal against God and against Elijah, and it did not work well for her. Even in the New Testament, the church is compared to a bride. So what I want you to see here is that when we see this reference to a woman, this is not a specific woman, but this woman is representing a people group, and this woman is representing the nation of Israel. And as we we jump into this, you will see how that kind of is uh, borne out. So Israel is the woman of the sun, moon, and stars. The woman in the vision is the nation of Israel. Some could see that Mary gave birth to Jesus, but actually the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would spawn out of the bloodline of Israel. The whole reason it's so important that Joseph married Mary when Jesus was born because Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was part of this heritage that led all the way back to Abraham. And this is not the first time we've seen this type of vision. You can associate this vision with, you remember Joseph had the multicolor coat. His brothers threw him in the well because they wanted to get rid of him. And he had a vision. And this is what made his brothers so mad. He said, uh, soon Joseph had another dream and again told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The, moon, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed before me. That's in Genesis 27 Verse 39. And notice what it says. He says he saw 11 stars in that vision. Why did he only see 11 stars then? And now in this vision we see 12 stars? To be quite honest, it's simple. 
Jacob was, I mean, excuse me, not Jacob, but Joseph was that other star. These 12 stars represent the tribes of Egypt. And so if Israel is the woman, Jesus is the baby that is born in labor pains. The labor pains in this passage, what are they representing? They're representing the trials and the tribulations that were facing Jesus at his birth. When we have Christmas specials here at church and we, when you read the Christmas story at home, we kind of gloss over the fact that Herod wanted the firstborn of every Jewish family, the firstborn male, killed because he was trying to stop the Messiah from being born. It was hard times during these days. And also, we see that um, Joseph fled with Mary. He was because she was pregnant with Jesus in Bethlehem. And uh, Jimmy, I don't know if you can help me, but can you cut down the air a little bit? I have got about ten people fanning, and uh, it's drawing my attention. Y'all keep fanning. Don't worry about me. But um, we see here that uh, Jesus is the baby. And here in verse 3, we see evil is revealed. Evil is revealed. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. And here's where it gets crazy. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. Donna may say that looks like me when I wake up in the morning. But no, this is not what it represents. It says in verse 4 that his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. So remember, this is a vision. This is not literally happening, but this is a sign showing what has happened, what will happen, what is yet to happen, but we see evil is revealed. So, as we jump into this, the dragon. The dragon is not a literal dragon, it is a sign. It is not a literal dragon. The evil dragon represented Satan himself and all the evil nature that he has and all of his evil character. The seven heads with the seven crowns and ten horns represent Satan's desire to be considered royalty. He has, from the beginning of his rebellion, wanted God's seat. And we see this. We see the same description of Satan in Revelation chapter 13. A similar type beast can be seen depicted in one of Daniel's visions all the way back in Daniel chapter 7. And so many view each of the dragons, or each of the heads of the dragon, representing a nation or leaders of the nation, working to carry out Satan's will. So it's very likely that each one of those heads, again, it could be uh, it could be some of these foreign countries, it could be some in the Middle East. Who knows? The United States may be one of them. But, but they, each one of those heads represent a country or a force or leader that is actively persecuting God's people during the Great Tribulation. And then... We see that one-third of the stars in the sky swept away. That refers to the angels that were cast out from God's presence. Fallen angels. Isn't that amazing? We don't like to talk about this, especially in Baptist churches. Some of our, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters will, will go more into death. But Baptists, we don't talk about it a lot. But there are demons in this world. 
There are angels in this world. If you believe in angels, you got to believe in demons. Because the demons, they fall an angel. And we see here, and we know because of Scripture, that when Satan was banished from God's presence, that one-third of the angels that followed Satan were with him. So here's what you can tell. Although there's one-third of the, de- of the demons that are working against us, there's two-thirds of the angels that are working for us. The odds are in our favor. Jesus is no longer the good shepherd we see here because he doesn't have a wooden staff anymore. He's got an iron rod. He is a king with an iron rod, like a scepter. And it says in verse 5, she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. That is Jesus Christ. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. In this vision, Jesus is the dragon slayer. The truth is he is Satan's conqueror over sin and death. I will tell you this. Look, God never, God did not create evil. God did not make an evil being. God did not create Satan. God created an angel that was in high ranks named Lucifer. And then that Lucifer, because God loves even the angels so much, gave them free choice and free will. And Satan decided to buck up against God, which started all of this. God never made an evil being, but he made angels, principalities, and powers with the choice to follow him or disobey him. The wilderness for 1260 days. What we see is there will be an intense persecution of Jews. Much like the exodus from Egypt. There will be, they will be sent into the wilderness to be protected by him during the great tribulation. Where God had prepared a place. That's where he said he talks about the wilderness. In this passage, where God had prepared a place. Did you know that's the very same wording used in John 14? Of which, by the way, I'll be preaching today at Larry McLeese's funeral. That just as God prepared a place for tribulation, God has prepared a place for you and I today who believe in him that will be in eternity with him. John 14.1, very same type of, of wording there. Okay, everybody with me? Let's take a break. If we had some Kool-Aid and cookies, I'd pass them out. But we'll keep going. The second thing, believe it or not, this is not, um, I'm not trying to be uh, melodramatic here, but folks, there is a war in heaven going on right now. There is a spiritual warfare around the campus of this church right now. There are things that are vying for your attention. There are things that would like to hurt us. There are forces that are working against us. But again, God has got our back as well. Notice what it says in verse 7. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And his angels were forced out of heaven. So what does that mean? Yes, that means right now, since the Great Tribulation has not happened yet, that Satan is in heaven. He's not down in some fiery pit ruling with a a big desk and and a pitchfork and, and, and barking out orders. He's in heaven accusing the same. 
and, and doing all that he can to disrupt what's going on. But he, he's failing. And we're going to see why in just a moment. But we see in verse 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Yes, at this point, he no longer has access to the saints. You may say, well, that doesn't sound right, preacher. Why would, why would Satan be able to be up there with God? I thought that he was in trouble. He was in trouble. He was separated. His fellowship was separated from God. But we see in this passage that there's going to be no more communication between the two. You want to know an example of them communicating? How about when Satan have a contest with God and he said, have you, what about Job? We know that, that Satan and God were talking about Job. And then Job is put on and all of the things that he went through. How about Jesus when he was taken to the wilderness and tried and tempted for 40 days and nights? Satan was talking to him. But at this point, he is going to be banished. At this point, the great tribulation, God is revoking Satan's access to heaven. He hit the key card and the room didn't open. Isn't that frustrating? You ever go into a hotel, they give you the key card and you tink, and it doesn't work? Man, that's frustrating. I don't know why I thought about that. But basically what we see here is Satan is cleaning out his desk and turning in his keys. Let's talk just for a second about Michael the Archangel because there have been movies made about him. There have been different beliefs about him. As a matter of fact, the Mormon church believes that Michael the Archangel is actually Jesus Christ himself. So there are a lot of, there is a lot of misinformation out there about Michael the Archangel. But what we see here is that some say Michael is Jesus because he has his angels fighting with them. But if you look at the remainder of the verse, Satan has his angels as well. So it can't be Jesus, right? Satan is definitely not Jesus. The truth about Michael, Michael's role was foretold. The term archangel means the angel of the highest rank. So we don't know exactly how it works, whether it's captains, sergeants, and all these, you know, how many bars the angels have on their wings, we, we don't know. But we know that there is some type of rank in heaven, and, and Michael's role was up near the top. We also know in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Daniel was told by the angel of the Lord that during the time of the end, Michael will arise, and there would be a time of unsurpassing trouble, a great reference to the great tribulation. So all the way back in Daniel, this is prophesied, and now all the way now where John is writing this on the island of Patmos, we still see Michael the archangel. So who is Michael the archangel? Michael the archangel is described in the Bible and in the books of Daniel, Jude, and Revelation as a warrior angel who engages in spiritual combat. That is who Michael is. And oh, by the way, as far as I understand it, there are only two angels named within all of Scripture. Number one would be Michael, and then number two would be Gabriel. He's mentioned in Daniel, he's mentioned in Zechariah, and he's mentioned with Mary at the birth of Jesus as well. So Michael was one of the mightiest angels, yet still knew that he was only doing God's bidding. We know that because in Jude 1, 9, he says that. Michael the archangel is not saying, hey, 
I'm the man. I'm on scene. I'm here to, to take care of what's going on. No, he said, look, I am here and I'm going to fight the battle, but only to what God has allowed me and instructed me to do. I'm only going to follow the orders God has given me. And if you've ever been in military or any type of organization like that, you know that you follow orders. And that's what Michael was doing. So we see, what is our takeaway from Michael? Folks, Satan can do his worst. But he is not strong enough to conquer heaven's forces. Because we see here that Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven. And just for a side note, the Bible describes four different falls for Satan. Revelation 12, 9 that we're reading now, that's one of them. The first time he was cast out, he, was, he went from being ordained and anointed by God to being vanished and disgraced by God. And here we see he has been revoked access to heaven. Later we will see that he has gone from the earth to imprisonment, to the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then finally, in Revelation 20, we will see that Satan will move from the bottomless pit to his eternal final destination, which the Bible calls the lake of fire. Yes, it is hell, folks. Hell is in the Bible, regardless of what some preachers and teachers and Christians say. Hell is in the Bible. Angels and demons are among us. Look at verse 8, where it says, He and his angels were forced out of heaven. It indicates that demonic spirits and indeed fallen angels who joined with Satan in his rebellion against God. So they they are among us. The second thing that we see is the heavenly voice declares God's kingdom has come. And the Lamb has overcome. In verses 10 through 12, let's look at that for just a moment. We see, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It is, it has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, for, and the authority of His Christ. For the, check this out, I would underline this if, if I were you. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. So that is saying that Satan, the accuser who was accusing God's people in the heavenly realms, has now been kicked out. And what does it say after that? The one who accuses them before God day and night. And then verse 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Therefore... And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Boy, he knows that the time is running short, and he is going to get in every jab that he can. So we see that there is a loud voice that declares the accuser's defeat. We don't know who that voice is because they're not named. We do know who it's not. We know it's not God, and we know it's not Jesus. We know it's not an angel. Why? Because if you go back and you look at it, it says that for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters means that whoever is shouting this has been accused by Satan before or 
his brothers or sisters have. So if you go all the way back, and it may take a while for you to, to remember this, but if you go all the way back to Revelation chapter 4, verse remember the, the, the redeemed, God's redeemed, that were sitting around the throne, many believe that it's one of those that is crying out this, because they're brothers and sisters. They, 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 were, they were accused by Satan. But real quick, I, I'm going to give you the, the three keys to spiritual victory that we're given here. The heavenly redeemed that shouted among this and among us, the heavenly redeemed gives us three keys to spiritual victory. And it's right there in your scripture. This is not some life-changing scoop that I've come up with. This is right out of the scripture, folks. The first thing, the key to spiritual victory in your life is, number one, the blood of the Lamb. Folks, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, His blood washed away the guilty stain of your sin once and for all. To be cleansed of your sins, you must surrender to Him. We must constantly remind ourselves and others that the blood of the Lamb assures us that every fear Satan whispers in your ear is a lie. Because he will whisper ears, or he will whisper things into your ears that are lies. Isn't it amazing about Satan? Is that when he's trying to trick you, he'll whisper in your ear. But when you mess up and he accuses you, he shouts it from the rooftops. You're not worthy. You're too this. You're not enough that. You should just give up. That's the way Satan works. So the blood of the Lamb, we are covered. Number two, their testimony. Yes, the testimony of what Jesus has done for you is your defense, my friend. Your testimony gives you freedom to operate under God's authority. And the third thing is their boldness. Notice that they were more afraid of letting down God than losing their own life. Folks, if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. And here's just a little moment of reflection for you and for me. If whatever you are living for is not worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. Just think about that for a second. If whatever you are living for is not worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. Look, I'll go ahead and tell you, I hope I don't get to that point, but if I do have to get to a point to where I have to die for my faith, I will gladly lay down my faith for God. Because He has done so much for me. Is God worth dying for? Absolutely. Some of you would say, I would die for my children. I would die for my parents. I would die for people I serve with. We have a, an, an old saying from a cheesy movie uh, in firefighting, uh, in backdraft. They had this, this old saying, that says, you go, we go. You may say, think it sounds cheesy, but I would do it in a heartbeat. If what we're living for is not worth dying for, then it's not worth living. And my friend, I will just tell you, if you're one of those people today that's living on the fence and and doing the lukewarm living like we learned about in the church of Laodicea, my friend, let me tell you what, just go all out wild and evil. Just, Just live it up because that's as good as it's going to get. But if you're going to sell out to Christ, if you're going to live this Christian life, live it! Because there is peace and walk 
Breaking the fence. The third thing that we see is the heavenly battle then comes to the earth. Verses 13 through 16. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon or the serpent from time, times, and a time and a half. When the dragon tied, or excuse me, when the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. So again, the woman is Israel. There is no secret that the Jews, God's people, have been targeted and mistreated many times over the years. All the way back in 740 B.C., the Assyrians conquered the Jews and took them captive. The Holocaust of 1941, or even the killing of a mail carrier and the shooting of five victims that were targeted in a Jewish community center of Los Angeles in 1999. That hatred for God's people is still there. You wonder why it's so important when we hear the news and we read about what our politicians are doing in relation to Israel, why it's so important. Folks, it is the Bible unfolding every day. So why does Satan attack the Jewish people? Because Satan knows from the time of the very beginning, Israel was the key to God's people's redemption. And Satan doesn't want it to happen. So my question is, if that's the case, why doesn't God just stop Satan? Just say, okay, hey, look, this we're done. Well, one of the reasons God allows Satan to work may be this. To separate the wannabes from the gonnabes. Maybe it's to separate out those that have that, that faith and just they attribute themselves to a church so they can be around a lot of people, so they can have a social group, so they can have a, some power to push people around. Maybe, maybe that's why they're doing it. Or maybe they're just doing it so they can wear a T-shirt. Or maybe they're doing that so they can have some kind of social status. I don't know, but during the Great Tribulation, there will be many people that say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. If you try to tell people about Christ every day, 99% of them will tell you, yeah, I go to a church. That's not what I asked. What about Jesus Christ? There will be a lot of people say, yeah, I went to church. My grandfather was a preacher and all of those other things. But when, when the time comes to really be tested, when the evil hits and we have to make a choice, there are going to be the wannabes, the gonnabes, and the never wases. That's terrible English. But it's the truth. The reason God allows evil in the world is to purify the saints. I don't know about you, but if you went to work out and you never used resistance of weights, you'll never get any stronger. And that's what evil does to us. Verses 17 and 18, as we round the bend here. Um, let me say real quick before I do that. If you noticed in that passage, it was talking about um, the wings. That she was, she was given two wings. Just a side note. That was a call back to the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In Exodus 19.4, it says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings. 
and brought you to myself. I'm telling you, Revelation is such an Old Testament book. And then Satan's wrath is focused on God's people. We see in verse 17, And the dragon was angry, and the woman declared war against the rest of her children, all who kept God's commands and maintained their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. And it gets crazy next week. But notice it says the rest of her children. This may be a reference to the faithful Jews and Gentiles of the Great Tribulation. And there will be the last, this is what we see here, this is the last big swing that Satan is trying to take against God's people. This is his, his, his last stand. So to wrap this up, we are at war, my friends. Listen, this has been, this has been, I'm telling you, I told Donna the other day, I've never had to plow through concrete as much as I have for this series in Revelation. I'm trying to, to find the nuggets in these things. But what, when I come down to the end of it, here's, here's kind of where I'm laying out for myself, and I hope that you see it too, is that it would really be easy to get caught up into the imagery of the Scripture and let your mind wander to some type of epic movie and television that you've seen. Maybe The Rock is starring in it because he stars in everything, right? But the truth of the matter is that this is a true story that has yet to come. The truth of the matter is this. You must prepare now for the arrival of these days in the great tribulation. Folks, please, today, now more than ever, take your sins seriously. Accept God's forgiveness that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ because it is only His blood that can remove your sins. And I would say, I wanted to show you this verse Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I hope that after you have looked at this chapter, it has pulled the scales from your eyes to see that, yes, there is our physical world, but there is also an unseen spiritual world that is the very fight for your soul. Every day, Satan attacks more followers who are seeking to live their life apart from God. And just a side note, read Revelation and see that whoever's following Satan, look at where it leads. Because that's where you'll be. However this plays out, you do not want to go through it. And finally, fighting your spiritual battles today will give you victory for an eternity. Fighting your spiritual battles today will give you victory for eternity. As Satan and his unholy force accuse saints of their sins, those whose faith is placed in Jesus Christ will be overcomers. I hope that as you read this passage that you have hope. I hope that you have the hope of knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord and that you're not going to have to endure this. But if for some reason you do, I hope you remember this red-faced preacher telling you that there is still hope even in the midst of this great tribulation. Folks, you never know. We may see this in our lifetime. And if we don't see it, your children are likely to see it. Your grandchildren. 
Let's get them ready. Let's start with ourselves. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And I will just offer this invitation, dear Heavenly Father, that if there is anyone here today that needs to know you as their Savior and Lord, that they don't want to be here for all of this. But dear Heavenly Father, if there is one person that wants to know you as their Savior and Lord, make sure that their life is ready and covered in the blood. Lord, may they make that decision today. And Lord, may we leave this place today with a better understanding of Revelation and the warning that it gives, but also the hope and power and clarity it gives to what's going on in this world today. We love you, Lord. And if there's anyone that would come, would you stand and come with this invitation? For it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.